Well, our text this evening is Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 through to verse 22. This is the end of this chapter and the end of the seven letters to the churches of Asia from our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, And then we will begin to move into kind of the next phase of the book of Revelation. But if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is powerful. It is living and the giver of life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. And I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, white garments that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let's ask for His blessing upon His Word. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come before You this evening seeking to learn from Your Word, seeking to be challenged, seeking to know our true condition, that we might find hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hopefully as you came in, you received a a one-page handout that you could take home and stick in a folder some day. This is a reference of these letters. It comes from the ESV Study Bible. And it describes the various parts that all of these letters have, how Jesus is described, whether there is a commendation or a rebuke, whether there is a solution for the rebuke, the consequences of disobedience, and then the promise that's given to those who overcome. And I wanted to get that in front of you and then again remind you, especially this evening, that these letters are not letters to specific churches only or specific types of churches. Because you'll remember 
if we view them that way, then we very quickly begin to categorize ourselves in with these churches. Of course, we become like the church at Philadelphia. It's a good church, a faithful church. And those other nasty people over there, they're Laodicea. They don't know what they're doing. If only they could be like us. When in reality, these are challenges that every church faces. Indeed, challenges that every Christian faces to be faithful and to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, to receive Him and His grace and to glorify Him. And so this evening we will be closing out this series of letters with the address to the church at Laodicea. And the challenge that I want to give to you from the forefront is not to think about this letter as it would be addressed to some other people out there somewhere. But I want you to think about how this letter challenges the way we view the Lord Jesus Christ, the things that we need to repent of, the ways in which our walk can be closer with Jesus. And so what I would like us to see briefly this evening is three things. First, I'd like us to see the challenge that Jesus gives to a lukewarm church. The challenge to a lukewarm church. And then secondly, I'd like us to see the condition of this church clarified. The condition that they are in, because you see, they think they are one way, and Jesus knows they are another. So there is a challenge, but there is also a condition that is clarified. And then finally, I would like us to see the counsel that comes from Jesus Christ. The counsel to this church to change its ways, to repent, to walk after Him to trust in Him and His promises. And this is counsel that we would be wise to heed as well. Well, let's begin then by looking at the challenge to a lukewarm church. I'm not going to dwell too much on the city of Laodicea itself. Some of you may be disappointed by that. We didn't do that in Philadelphia. We're not doing it here. There is a sense in which these cities are alike in many ways. Laodicea, like many of the cities that we have seen, is an incredibly wealthy city. Perhaps the only thing you need to know about Laodicea that really makes clear how prosperous and self-sufficient they were, that when an earthquake went through this area in the 60s A.D. and other cities appealed to Rome for support and help, kind of the way that uh, Louisiana appealed to the president during Uh, and the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina for a state of emergency. Laodicea was the only city that said, well, thank you very much, Emperor, but we don't need your help. We're just going to uh, cash in some stocks and bonds, and, and we'll rebuild our city by ourselves. And they did. They rebuilt their entire city out of their reserve wealth. So that gives you an idea of just how wealthy this city is. And Jesus Christ comes to a church that is found in this city that was placed there to reach people in the city. It is a falsity to believe that the gospel is not for the wealthy. It is. It is for all sorts of men and women. But Jesus knows that that witness must be pure. It must not be compromised by being like the world. And so first we see who Jesus is at the beginning of verse 14. In other letters, he writes to them and he is described as the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So what does this mean? Jesus is the Amen. What is 
Amen. You all say it at the end of every prayer, right? In Jesus' name, amen. Even the youngest of us do that. Well, amen is simply a Greek transliterated word like baptism. Baptism is not a translation. It takes the Greek letters and it puts them in English and we use it as a word. Amen is the same way. And amen means something like, so be it. Let it be so. Let it be true. We see a variation on this word where we see Jesus say, truly, truly, I say to you. And so Jesus is described as the amen, as truth itself. Jesus is not only true, he does not only speak true things, he is truth himself. He is the God of truth who creates all things new. I think here that as John writes, he is thinking on or Jesus is reminding him of a passage in Isaiah. We'll see that several times here this evening, but especially here in Isaiah 65 verses 16 and 17. We're the only other place in the Bible where amen is used as a name. So that he who blesses himself in the land shall be blessed by the God of truth or the God of amen. And he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth or the God of amen. Because the former troubles are forgotten and hidden from my eyes. And then the all important next verse. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Jesus is true and his creation will be true because he is creating it anew. He is also the faithful and true witness. Now, what does this mean? It means that Jesus is the perfect witness to the covenantal work of God. He is the ideal witness because he is the one who performs this work. He is faithful and true. He says only the things that God would have him say. He is faithful to God's word, God's plan, and God's decree. We see this here in another passage in Isaiah chapter 43, beginning at verse 12. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And I am God. And henceforth I am He. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work and who can turn it back? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I send Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans, in the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So many echoes in that verse. Echoes of John the Baptist. Echoes of our Lord Jesus Christ and His work. Echoes of the exodus and protection of the Lord. And you see, Jesus Christ is the witness of this work. You see, Jesus is reminding us that his message is true because he is truth. He is the faithful and true witness. But he is also the beginning of creation. Now, some 
like the Jehovah's Witnesses that came to my door Saturday morning, would have you believe that Jesus is a created being because of this. But you see, this really is not true. What Jesus is referring to here is that he is the beginning of the new creation. It's a reference to Revelation 1, verse 5, where he is the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth. There is a new creation and Jesus is the culmination and the beginning and all that is created new comes in his train. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians where he says that therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There is a new creation being formed by Jesus, a kingdom being brought to consummation. Jesus Christ is that king. Jesus Christ is that forerunner, that leader. But there is also no hiding from this Jesus. He is true. He is faithful. He is the first of the new creation. But he is also omniscient. Just like in the other letters, he describes how he knows the works of these churches. He is not deceived by appearances. And this is especially applicable here in Laodicea. Because you see, the Laodiceans cleaned up real nice. The church at Laodicea would be a church when you visited it that you would think had it all. Programs to the hilt. A clean building with lush surfaces and many resources. Perhaps their public prayers were loud and forceful and pious. Perhaps even they were known for having a very public pulpit ministry. They probably had the equivalent of worldwide or citywide radio shows, and they were in the equivalent of the newspapers. But you see, Jesus looks beyond the surface. This is something we need to remember, don't we? Because, in all honesty, I'm pretty easy to fool. I don't see all of you all the time. I don't see you when you do things in your home. I'm not around you 24 hours a day. You can pull the wool over this pastor's eyes. You can pull the wool over each other's eyes. You can even, with incredible effort, pull the wool over your children's or your spouse's eyes. But you can't pull the wool over Jesus' eyes. He doesn't want an appearance of Christianity. He doesn't want you pretending that you know Him and believe in Him. He sees to the heart. And so we must be careful in our examination, careful in our examination of ourselves and of others to use Jesus' standard, to use the Bible as our plumb line, as our yardstick. Because Jesus sees to the heart. Well, this is also a church that is described as lukewarm. You'll see here in verses 15 and 16, Jesus says it over and over again that they are neither cold nor hot. What does this mean? Well, I think if we think about turning the the faucets on in our bathroom, we think of a little bit of hot and a little bit of cold makes it just right for us to wash our hands. And we may be thinking that what this means is Jesus would prefer that we would either be hot, that is, on fire for Jesus, or cold, completely disinterested in Jesus. But the one thing he doesn't want is for us to be somewhere in between. I think there's something to be said against compromise 
and lukewarmness in our walk with Christ. But I don't think that's what is meant here. I think John is using an illustration or given one by the Lord Jesus in the area of Laodicea. You see, in the area of Laodicea, Laodicea was placed where it was because it was in a commerce route. It was one of the reasons that they were so wealthy. But in a city nearby, a city by the name of Hierapolis, there was a water spring that was known for its hot water for medicinal purposes. You know, in the same way that you feel really good when you get out of a really hot, warm bath when you're not feeling well, the ancients used hot water, hot springs, to overcome illness to, for medicinal effect. You know, they didn't have the medicines that we have today. And Heriopolis was famous for this. It was a place of health because the water was hot. A little bit down the road, there was a town called Colossae. You know that town because Paul wrote a letter to it, to the church in Colossae. And Colossae was known for its cold, drinkable, refreshing water. It was a place where there was life in the water where you could be refreshed and drink to the fullest. But Laodicea was placed perfectly for commerce, but in about the worst possible place it could be for water. You see, they had to actually bring water in. And when they brought water in, the only thing they could really bring in was tepid, warm water. Have you ever, by mistake, poured yourself a nice big glass of warm water and taken a swig? If you have, maybe you have been tempted like our Lord Jesus Christ to simply spit it out. Because cold water is refreshing. Hot water or hot tea is is good for us. It makes uh, us feel refreshed in a different way. But lukewarm, stagnant water is, quite frankly, disgusting, isn't it? And you see, that's what the church at Laodicea was like to our Lord Jesus Christ. They were lukewarm. They were disgusting. They had no value because they thought they were walking with Him, but they were not. You see, this is not just about indifference. This is about being distasteful. Because you see, the church at Laodicea had lost its witness in the world. They had gone to a wealthy city to preach the gospel, to win souls to the gospel, and they had now, instead of being distinct from the world, they were being like the world. Laodicea was a place, if we can continue to use our analogy, of the healing waters of Heriopolis and the refreshing waters of Colossae, where there was neither spiritual healing nor spiritual life. There was simply a church that was there that didn't have any real purpose. It didn't serve the Lord and His kingdom at all. That's a challenge for us as well. Are we here at Christ Church simply because we think we should be here? Simply because we need a place to go on Sunday? Simply because we think it's the right thing to do? You see, our Lord doesn't want that kind of indifference. He wants our whole selves. He wants us to be a witness in our community, a witness in our families. This is the audience to which Jesus addresses himself. He goes on to clarify their condition. Not only are they lukewarm, 
But they have a wrong assessment about who they are. Their own assessment was that they were in good condition and that they had no real need. They were in good condition. They said to themselves that they were healthy. They were significant. Look at what Jesus says. You say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. They said, we are first church, Laodicea. We are the movers and the shakers. We are doing things for the kingdom. What kinds of things? Well, we're involved in the rotary. Okay. And we know all of the top politicians in Laodicea. Okay. And we give so much to our church. Look at how beautiful our building is. You see, they had an assessment that they were healthy. And this assessment came from the fact that they thought that their wealth indicated health. Let me say that again. They saw their wealth as indicating health because after all, if they were not on the good side of God, if they were not doing works for God, how would He bless them? Why would He bless them with wealth and success? This is something that you see every day on Christian television, isn't it? It's called the health and wealth gospel. And the way we judge in their own words whether we are being faithful, whether the Lord is in our midst, is how much money we have in our bank accounts. What kind of car we drive. God must love me because I drive a Cadillac. He wouldn't have given me a Cadillac otherwise. And we find this humorous except for how this works itself out. And I have seen this. Is this type of theology will see itself in a church where they will have a conference and people will go out and rent Lexuses and rent Cadillacs and rent Beamers to drive to the church parking lot to show how faithful they are and how God is blessing them. Because you see, if it's all about externals, we need to be able to manipulate the externals, don't we? But before we too quickly reserve this challenge to those who are out there, to faith, healing, and health and wealth gospel preachers, we need to recall that we, we here in the PCA, and often we are tempted even here at Christ Church to mistake success for blessing with God. And I use success in quotes. Would we be faithful and would God bless us if we did not grow by one member in the next ten years? If we're being faithful to the Word of God, yes. Now, that doesn't mean that in order to be faithful to the Word of God, we need to drive people away to make sure we don't grow. We can go to that extreme as well. We show how faithful we are by how small we are. But we need to realize that the blessing of the Lord and our faithfulness is found in ourselves, in our walk with the Lord and in our lives, not with numbers or not with visible terms of success. Because you see, the church at Laodicea was relying on this. That was their assessment. And Jesus had a very different assessment. He said to them in verse 17, You think you're rich. You think you're prosperous. You think you need nothing. But you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. He basically says to them, you are on the verge of being pagan. You are so identified with the world that 
You're no different than it. Now, to the one who was knowledgeable in the Hebrew Scriptures, this language would echo. It's language that Hosea uses to indict Ephraim for its rebellion against the Lord. In Hosea chapter 12, he says, Ephraim has said, Ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself. In all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. We need to be careful. Careful of thinking we have arrived. Careful of thinking we have all the answers. All the answers in our family. All the answers to the Bible. All the answers to life. And that there is no room for growth in us. Because when there is no room for growth, we are stagnant like stagnant water. We are like the church at Laodicea. Every single one of us should long to grow this year in Christ. And not just itty bits. But to grow spectacularly in our knowledge of the Scriptures, in our love for Jesus, in our compassion for the lost. This is Jesus' assessment. You see, Jesus saw that they were in need and it was a grave need. It's very interesting and ironic. You see what Jesus says that they are? That they are poor, blind, and naked. Now, you need to know one other thing about the town, the city of Laodicea. Laodicea had three main industries, three spectacular ancient industries. Banking, medicine, specifically ophthalmology, and textile industry. Poor, blind, naked. You see, they were relying upon the world to keep them rich, to allow them to see and to clothe them. And Jesus says, you have lost everything. You are poor, blind, and naked. And you must come to me. You see, Jesus wants to point out to them that they must see their own need and the solution that he brings. And he does it in a very colorful and pointed way. He says, you think you have all of the answers, but you need counsel. That brings us to our last point, that we need to see the counsel that comes from Christ. The counsel that comes from Christ is, first of all, that we are to go to Him. We are to come to Christ. He is the one who has the resources. Are you poor? Jesus says, come to Me and get gold refined by fire. This gold that is refined by fire refers to the refining fire that drives the sin out of our lives. It is the trials and temptations that God sends to us. Peter speaks of this in 1 Peter 1.6, where he speaks of the believer as being one who is gold tested and purified in the fiery furnace. Are you naked? Then Jesus has garments for you. White garments of His righteousness. Garments that never spot or stain. You see, the answer is not found in our own resources, in our own worth. It is found in Jesus. Are you blind? Are you having trouble seeing? Then Jesus says, don't fashion for yourself glasses. He says, come to me for solve. What solve is, is it's a solution that you put on your eyes to help you to see better. And again, there is great irony here because this is a city known for its eye doctors. But you see, 
We need help in discernment. And that help and discernment comes from the Holy Spirit. It's the only way that we can see is by the power and resource of Christ. Jesus counsels us. He says, come to me. He says, I am for you. Notice here, he says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. That should be comfort for any one of you that has ever gone through a challenge, a trial, or a difficulty. Right? Jesus reproves us and disciplines us because he loves us. Proverbs 3.12 says, For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, a father, the son, in whom he delights. It's echoed in Hebrews chapter 12. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. How does Jesus discipline us? He disciplines us by his word and by his providence. Are you struck by the word as you read it and study it? Are you struck that you must change things about your life? Do you see the hand of God in things that come to you? You know, when we see circumstances change around us, we should look for the Lord in them. That doesn't mean that every single thing that happens to us has a one-to-one correlation with a message from God. But what it does mean is that the Lord speaks to us through our lives and through circumstances. And we should be open to that. If we are struggling with a sin and it is causing us dire circumstances, the the Lord is telling us something about how we should treat that sin to cut it out of our lives. If we are struggling with worry and doubt, the Lord is telling us that we should seek Him and trust Him. That's why His circumstances are such. The Lord counsels us to come to Him, but He also counsels us in this brief but so powerful way, he says, so be zealous and repent. Zealous means to be active, to be energetic. You know what this is like. You see this in children when they are eager for a trip to be taken or something to be done or a family outing. They're around you buzzing like a bee, talking a mile a minute. They're so eager, you you have to say, calm down. You see, that's the way we should be with the Lord Jesus Christ. He should be in our thoughts, on our lips, in our conversations with others. We should be zealous for the Lord. But we should also repent. Repentance is a lifelong duty. We never move past repentance. We never arrive to the point where we no longer have to repent. Zeal and repentance. But we also must renew our fellowship. And this is what chapter 3, verse 20 is saying. Now, you all are probably very familiar with the misinterpretation of Revelation 3, verse 20. Perhaps you have even used it in an evangelical endeavor. Behold, I am at the door, which of course means the door of my heart. And Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. And if you'll only listen to Jesus, He's so powerless on the other side of the door, He's too weak to even turn the doorknob. But if you open the door, He'll come in and save you. Not so. You see, the Jesus of the Bible is not weak. 
The Jesus of the Bible is strong. And the context here has nothing to do with evangelism. Now, we should press home the claims of the gospel to others. We should seek to have others close with Christ, to to believe upon His promises, to trust in His work. But that's not what's being said in this text. In chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus wants to have fellowship with the church. Jesus is on the other side of the door, but He's not locked out by the church. He has left in disgust because they are lukewarm, because they use His name but do not love Him. Because they claim to believe in Him, but they do not repent. And He says, you must come to Me. And if you are with Me and if you open the door, then I will come in and I will sup with you and you with Me. We will have fellowship once again together. The kind of fellowship that you know around the dinner table as a family, where you laugh and joke and speak of things and enjoy one another as much as the food. Jesus wants to be with His people. He wants to renew fellowship. Just to give you an idea, let me read to you a passage from the Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 2, where the man says, or excuse me, where the woman says, I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound. My beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. You see, the opening there is for a covenantal relationship. It is for a closeness. Jesus wants to have the closest relationship that you have with anyone. He wants to be dearer to you and closer to you than your spouse is. That's why he knocks at the door. He wants us to repent and to renew our fellowship with him. And if we do this, if we heed this repentance, if we heed this invitation, then we will overcome. And this is how this letter concludes. The one who overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with the Father on my throne. You see, Jesus says, you must overcome temptation even as I did. You see, Jesus was offered the easy way out by Satan, wasn't he? Bow down to me, and I'll make you a king. Turn this stone into bread. But you see, Jesus said, I will not take the easy way, the surface way, which you would have me to do, Satan. I will take the hard path of obedience to the cross. Jesus challenges you now not to take the easy way. Not to ignore the problems in your relationships. Not to ignore the issues in your family. Not to ignore the sin in your life, but to attack these issues. To repent, to be active, to be changed by Jesus. That is overcoming, even as Jesus overcame. That is victory, even as Jesus has victory. Do you hear that call now today? This is what Jesus has in store for His church. Let's pray.